Lord, we're not here this morning to hear words from, from man, Lord God. We wanna hear from You. We wanna hear the voice of the Lord and God, Jesus Christ. We want Your Spirit to move among us, Father. We want Your words to come alive in our hearts. We want You to take this message and divide it up into the number of people here and speak directly to their hearts and their souls. God, I don't know the week that each person has had. I don't know the situation that they find themselves in, but Lord God, You do. And as Rob reminded us last week, You are not a silent God. You are not a distant God, far away, disconnected from our world or our situation, God. You are near and You are a God who speaks. So God, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts to receive. And God, maybe not hear the Word and walk away. Maybe we'll not be like the person who looks at themselves in a mirror and then goes away and forgets what they have seen. Lord God, may we hear these words and do them. May we obey the words that You speak to us today. God, may we be a church that rises up, that has no fear of man, but knows that Jesus Christ is better than any passion, any possession, any pursuit that we could ever chase after, Lord God. You are worth it all, worthy of it all, Lord God. We wanna make room for you and may that start with giving us ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. We give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' mighty name, amen. You may be seated, thank you team. Before we dive into the Word, I wanted to give one final announcement. Uh, many of you would have seen the horrific news reports and images coming out from our media about the war going on in Israel and Gaza. And ACC International, our church's denomination, the Mission Arm, has launched their Middle East appeal. So if you would like to give to the work on the ground that they're giving to their partners that are working in the region, you can go to the City Church website to see how you can give towards that Middle East appeal. Thank you. Well, I want to start off by getting you to cast your minds back to 1998. It was 25 years ago. Most of you were probably in a different job. Maybe you lived in a different house. Maybe like me, you were still in school. Maybe some of you weren't alive yet, which makes this exercise difficult. But if you were and you were in England, in June 1998, you would have been watching the Soccer World Cup. Now, anyone who has been watching the David Beckham Netflix documentary will know how this story ends. But in June 1998, it was round 16 of the Soccer World Cup and England was playing Argentina. At this point in the game, the score was two all. And the Argentinian captain, Diego, had a run-in with England star, David Beckham. And to kind of rile him up a little bit, Diego pushed David Beckham to the ground. As Diego runs off, Beckham does what has now become an infamous move. I've got a photo of it on the screen, if you can put it up. He lifts his leg to kick Diego as he runs off. 
Unfortunately for Beckham, this was right in front of the ref. And go to the next slide. Beckham gets a red card. Now, for those of you who don't know, like to my shame, I didn't realise, when you get a red card, not only do you need to go off, but your team can't replace you. So England had to play the rest of the game one player down. Now, the game went to a penalty shootout and England ended up losing the game and they got kicked out of the World Cup. The nation's hopes were dashed. Now, the drama doesn't end here. In fact, that was only the beginning. Instead of the fans being a little bit frustrated and maybe grumpy the next morning, some of you may be married to a man who've experienced that when they, their football team loses the night before, these England fans, English fans, lost it. David Beckham says that from that moment on, he could not leave his house without someone coming up to him and either swearing in his face or spitting on the ground as he walked by. He said, wherever I went, I got abused every single day. It was reported that one fan was so angry at Beckham that he threw a TV through a third floor window. The newspapers reported David Beckham as being childish, petulant and stupid. He was hailed as the biggest idiot in football. He said, the whole country hated me. David was a mere 23 years old. He had gone from the hailed superstar to the hated screw up. Now, have you ever experienced what it feels like to be hated with such fury that the English fans threw upon David Beckham? Have you ever experienced what it felt like to not just be hated by one person or a group of people, but a whole system, perhaps a whole nation? Last year, I had the privilege of meeting a man named Amin, and he knew what this felt like. Although he wasn't hated, because of football, he was hated because of his faith. You can put the photo up on the screen. Amin grew up in Iran and like most Iranians, he was Muslim. He would pray to Allah five times a day and do all of the other religious requirements. He was a very dutiful Muslim. But as he became a young man, he began to question his faith. And so one day he prayed this prayer. He said, God, if you are real, show yourself to me. And I don't want to talk to you in Arabic like I need to with the Muslim faith. I want to talk to you in my own Persian language. Now, nothing happened after he prayed that prayer. And so Amin just let it float on by. But six days later, Amin had a dream. It was the dream of a man in white a man with white hair and long flowing white clothes, Amin had a dream of Jesus Christ. At the time he woke up and checked his clock and it was 5am in the morning. He sort of spent the morning wondering what it meant. And then five hours later at 10am, he heard a knock on the door. A family friend came in and he walked into Amin's house and he put a book down on the table. And he said words that are forbidden in Iran. He said, Amin, I've come to tell you about Jesus Christ. Amin said to him, what are you doing? Why are you here? Why did you come today? Why now? 
The family friend said to him, I've been a believer for a long time, but I've been too afraid to share my faith with you. But at 5am this morning, I heard the audible voice of God say to me, get up, take the Bible, Amin is ready to hear. That day, Amin and his mother and his sister believed in Jesus Christ. They committed their life to him as their saviour and Lord. They began reading what became the most precious book in their life, their very own Bible in Persia, Persian. But Iran is the eighth most dangerous country to be a Christian. People who convert from the Muslim faith, the moment they make that decision are at risk of being reported to the authorities. There is an entire section of the Iranian police called the Religious Islamic Police. And their sole purpose is to track down converts. And they are often wrongly accused of crimes against the government and imprisoned. But despite these risks, Amin began to share his faith. He began to speak to family and friends about this good news that he had, been, he had discovered. He said, a few of them came to Christ. Many argued with me and even wanted to punch me and hit me, but I continued to share my faith. But it wasn't long before Amin got find, found out. He worked at a very successful petroleum company. He was an engineer quite high up in the company. And one of his colleagues saw, found his Bible and took a photo of it and sent it to the owners of the company. He was fired from the company. And the moment that got found out, his father said to him, you need to flee. He said, they will report you to the authorities. You need to go. So the very next day, Amin and his wife found themselves on a small fishing boat on their way to Australia. It was only a few days later that the Iranian police turned up at Amin's father's door. They were there to arrest him. Amin knew what it was to be hated. He was forced to leave everything. His family, his friends, his successful career, everything that he knew because of his faith because he deemed Jesus more valuable than anything this world had to offer. Now, for those of you that are following along, you will know that we're going through the book of John. We're up to the section in chapters 13 to 16, and today we're going to be focusing on the second half of John 15. This section of the Bible starts with Jesus having dinner with his disciples. And it's a very important meal because this is the last meal that Jesus is going to have before he goes to the cross. And so we have to ask the question, what is it that Jesus wants to tell his closest friends in the final moments before he goes away? In this group of chapters, it's power packed with powerful verses and stories that many of us know from the Bible. This section kicks off with Jesus washing his disciples' feet. I was telling my children about that this morning. They were so grossed out. Jesus washing his disciples' feet. He talks about serving one another. It has that beautiful verse in there where he says, I give you a new command, love one another. And by this, the world will know that you are my disciples. Jesus talks about the vine and the branches and the importance of the disciples abiding in him and staying connected in him. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. Jesus says all these amazing, powerful things that he is well known for, but then things take a sharp turn. 
Then we get to chapter 15, John chapter 15, verse 18. Let me read it to you today and we'll put it on the screen. You can also look it up in your own Bibles. But John 15, chapter, verse 18. Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, world, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know who sent me. But now they have, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus may have been talking about love earlier in the chapter, but now he is talking about hate. He uses the word eight times in this short section. And John isn't including this just because he's a bit of a downer. He isn't just this cup half empty kind of guy. He's not trying to be Mr. Negative Nancy. John is presenting the reality of what Jesus has experienced since he commenced his ministry. See, Jesus has been trying to be killed since he started his ministry on earth. In John 5, 18, after Jesus healed the lame man, it says that the Jewish, Jewish leaders started to plot out to kill him. In John 7, 1, after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, something you think people would be pleased about, the Jewish leaders are once again plotting to kill him. It's mentioned again in John 11 and 12, they all share about the plots to kill Jesus. He was hated. And as Jesus goes towards the cross, he doesn't want his disciples to be surprised about what is in front of them. I remember when I first became a parent in that haze, I would often be Googling things that started with the sentence, is it normal? <laughs> is it normal for a one-month-old to wake up every hour? Is it normal for a seven-month-old to always throw their food? Is it normal for a 10-month-old to keep biting other people? Is it normal for my 18-month-old to always say no every time I ask them to do something? I wanted to know what was normal. All of a sudden, you're fixated on what normal sleep looks like, normal eating habits, even the colour shade of their poo. Is it normal? Because if it's normal, you can deal with it and at least you know you're not alone. Jesus wanted the disciples to know what normal looked like. 
what did it mean to follow Jesus? Because following Jesus sounds great when there's miracles and healings and casting out of demons. But it's much harder when you see your Saviour go to the cross. If the world hates you, he says, remember that it hated me first. If they persecuted me, he says, they will persecute you. And there are believers all around the world who know exactly what Jesus is talking about. Believers like Amin in countries like North Korea and Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, Pakistan and India. The World Watch List says that 360 million Christians around the world experience high to very high levels of persecution. That's one in seven Christians. So if you look down your row, when we reflect on global Christianity, one out of seven of you, when you became a Christian, would be mocked abused, attacked, wrongly imprisoned, and perhaps even killed for your faith. I did a short stint uh, studying at a Bible college, and I remember going along to their graduation. And when everyone went through, everyone had their beautiful gowns, and everyone got bunches of flowers afterwards, and they all went out to lunch and celebrated. But I remember a pastor from a persecuted nation saying to me, When our believers go through Bible college, they're signing a death sentence. They don't go out to lunch. They're saying that for the rest of their life, they're willing to be hunted down for being a pastor and a believer in Christ. That's what Christians around the world face. From the moment that Amin made the decision to follow Christ, he crossed over into another world. He was not accepted, he was rejected and he was in danger. Because Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now I find this verse incredibly challenging because we too have been chosen out of the world. When we put our faith in Christ, Jesus pulled us out of this world to be connected to Him. We became citizens of another world, an eternal world, a heavenly world, the heavenly kingdom of Christ. We are no longer part of this world. But I know for myself, so often I look exactly like this world. I don't face much opposition in my everyday life and I think perhaps the world doesn't hate me because I worked so hard in making it try to love me. Perhaps the world hasn't rejected me because I'm always trying to fit into the world. I find this challenging because I look at people like Amin who were willing to lay down their life to share the good news with their family and friends But I struggle in a conversation to have an awkward moment to be open about my faith. If you're at a barbecue and everyone's talking about the fact that all religions lead to God, everything gets you there in the end, all paths lead to God. Do you speak up? Do you say the words that Jesus says in this section of scripture? I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
So much of the world loves the teaching of Jesus. Love one another, turn the other cheek, wash the disciples' feet. There aren't many people quoting, no one comes to the Father except through me. And I'm preaching to myself here because I think if I am going to follow Jesus, then I want to follow Him all the way. I don't want to read this book and take out the sections that I like. I want to believe all of it. And if Jesus says that it's normal for the world to hate you, if it's normal for the world to persecute you, then I say something is going wrong with the way that I am following Jesus. Mark Sayers, who is the pastor of Red Church in Melbourne, says that in the future, the Australian church is going to become smaller, but deeper. And what he's saying is that we are moving away from this cultural Christianity, this Christianity where everyone just goes to church and everyone believes in God because it's what we do. But we're moving to a Christianity that costs, a faith that costs us something, where it's no longer convenient to be a Christian. We no longer fit in with what the world hails as important. We're no longer seen as inclusive or as the norm. It's a faith that costs. But because of that, the higher the cost, the higher the commitment. All of a sudden, our faith is not something that we just make a quick decision on and dive in because everyone else is. It's something that's going to cost us something. And I know for me, I wanna be all in. And I think this is most profound and powerful for our young people because it's becoming increasingly hard to follow Christ, to follow Him in our schools, for them to follow Him with their words and their behaviour and their sexuality, to stand out and say, yes, I am a follower of Christ. I wonder why we are so quick to recommend a new restaurant a new skin cream, a new fitness regime. But I feel scared about sharing and recommending the good news of Jesus Christ. A matter not of food or clothing or online shopping, but a matter of life and death, a matter of eternity. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Our faith is meant to cost us something. And these were the words that the disciples needed to hear because every single one of them after that meal were going out and they were going to be mocked. They were going to be beaten. They were going to be dragged into the synagogues and wrongly accused. And every single one of them, except for one, was going to be killed or martyred for their faith. And in that moment, they needed to remember the words of Jesus. If they persecuted you, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Nick Ripkin says that the reason Christians in the West, Christians in countries like Australia, don't experience persecution and opposition is because we keep our faith private. I was just chatting to a friend the other day and she was just saying, look, I don't mind whatever anyone believes as long as they don't push it onto anyone else, as long as they just keep it to themselves. But God has given us the good news. He has called us to be witnesses, to go out into all the world. We can't keep that to ourselves. We wanna share the good news because this is a matter of life and death. And I feel convicted in this. I wanna keep investing in relationships that I know need to hear the good news. I don't wanna be weird, I wanna be obedient. (laughs) 
I want to obey what God has called me to do. I want to keep looking for opportunities to share my faith and not go through the world unaware that there are people who are heading not for eternity. To finish the story about Amin, he and his wife made it to Christmas Island. They landed in the, de- they got taken to the detention center and they had a miraculous story where they were able to get a Persian Bible. I can tell you that later on. And they started to share again about God's goodness in a Bible study. The Bible study started with four people, Muslims who were curious about this Christianity. And the Bible study grew to 50 people who came to Christ on Christmas Island. And these people continued to bring others to the kingdom of God. Amin and his wife went on to study at Bible College and they planted a church in Brisbane called Grace Persian Church. After that, they planted three other churches in Melbourne, Sydney and Adelaide. Following Jesus is meant to cost us. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, Jesus says, because I have overcome the world. If we start being bolder with our faith, if we start sharing gently and with grace, seasoned with salt, if we have these conversations about what we believe, there will be opposition. Perhaps you'll miss out on opportunities at work because your boss doesn't like the way that you share your faith. Perhaps you won't get a financial advantage because you choose to run your business with integrity. Perhaps you'll experience those awkward conversations if you take a risk and share something with a friend that they reject. Perhaps you won't be invited back to the barbecue. Some of you introverts are like, I'd love that. But Jesus says the pain will give way to much greater joy because Jesus is worth it. He says near the end of this chapter, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. There may be challenges ahead. People may reject you. People may turn against you. You may have people who think that you are weird or awkward or non-inclusive. But there is a day when Jesus returns and we will rejoice. And he will look you in the eye and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And no one will be able to take away your joy. Lord God, we know that you are worth it all. You are worth every cost. You are better than anything this world could ever give us. God, grow us and change us. Help us to be obedient to your call to be witnesses to the very ends of the earth and may we start with our backyard. Lord God, thank you that you laid everything down for us. The world hated you, but you died on the cross for us. Help us to follow you as your people in the valleys and the mountaintops, knowing all glory belongs to you and one day we will rejoice 
and no one will take away our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.